everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Myo Minds podcast. As always, I'm your host, George, and today I'm here with a friend and a colleague, Dr. Una Foy. Una, how are you? Hello, George. I am good. It is not too hot, and that makes me very happy as a ginger Irish girl. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's been horrendous. I'm such a, I feel like I talk about my sweatiness on the podcast far too often, but as someone who is such a sweaty person and I get like I feel like I, I get I get sweat rash like more and more depending on like I don't get it as much when I'm exercising but I always get it when it's hot I don't know if maybe there are some biologists or something out there who don't know the link there but when it's like really hot I just I get itchy and I get sweaty and I just I'm just so I'm so sad to be around in the heat you're a fellow northerner then <laughs> I am it's just I'm not horrendous. nice yeah, I feel like I'm. I'm. You said you're. You're a, a ginger Irish. I feel like I'm. I'm ginger in my soul. Like I have. I have those. Those traits just within me. Have you uh, never heard the old um, that gingers don't have souls? Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so I can say that because <laughs> I am a ginger. <laughs> yeah. So I may, maybe maybe the the lost soul of maybe your lost soul was found in me. Maybe that's it. Um, <laughs> there we are. Uh, anyway, anyway, enough about souls and gingerness. Um, Una, I have uh, asked for you to come on today. We've been we've worked together for a, a while now, and I would consider you a friend. Um, hopefully, you don't out me now on the podcast and say we're not friends. But um, I wanted never to met come... before. <laughs> uh, I wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to bring you on because you have some really cool interests in different aspects of research and you work at King's College London and you do a lot of research into eating disorders and things and we talk about that on the pod um, and one of the main things I wanted to talk about with you today or one of the there are two but one of the big interests I wanted to start off with was you did some research and one of your interests was around emotional intelligence and how exactly that relates to eating disorders and I think emotional intelligence is such an important um, topic and a really interesting one. So to start off for the people listening, could you tell us what emotional intelligence actually is and how it relates to eating disorders? So I suppose this whole concept of emotional intelligence came to me whenever I was doing my undergraduate degree and it was a topic that came up and it was quite new at the time um, and I didn't feel connected to it at all because it's kind of around leadership and those sorts of aspects. It came from the business world. So I didn't really connect with it. But I had this amazing lecturer who then started trying to explain it to me in a way that made sense on a personal level. So she kind of dissected it down into that it's around how you process your emotions and how you process the world around you. So there's many facets of emotional intelligence. So it's not just being smart. About mm. being able to regulate your emotions, being able to express them, 
being able to appraise what emotion you are feeling and also being able to appraise what other people are feeling. So it's not necessarily just about your own internal stuff, but also kind of sensing the world. Mm. And I think a lot of that is, it's very kind of, you can sense things in a room, but you can't necessarily put your finger on it. And I suppose the one thing, the one story that I like to tell around kind of emotional intelligence and why I kind of think it's a really interesting, important topic is when I was doing a little bit of training um, in counselling many, many years ago, we used to always have like these little openers and closers every session. And it would be, how are you feeling today? And I, this was an evening class. So it was happening at like half seven at night. I had been working full time during the day doing kind of quite heavy emotional work and things like that um, as I was working with eating disorders in the community. And every week I said the same thing and I always and I thought it was very honest and it was kind of a normal response to go, I'm feeling tired. <laughs> and I got called up on it every single week by the tutor because she said, no, no, I'm asking what emotion you're feeling. And I was like, it's tiredness not an emotion. And it hadn't occurred to me um, and being able to kind of process that sort of stuff and understand it and you know get to that point of being able to just feel it sense it all that sort of stuff and I'm not sure I know anyone that is completely emotionally intelligent but mm. I think there's a lot of people where you can just you just know you can trust them that they pick up on these things and those sort of things and I actually think you George are quite an emotionally intelligent person you kind of pick up cues within conversations that sort of stuff very inherent stuff um, I don't think I'm very emotionally intelligent at all. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I was actually, my, my kind of follow-up comment was going to be that I don't think I am. <laughs> so I appreciate that you do, you think I am. Um, I think, I think I, and it's one of the reasons why I think emotional intelligence is such an interesting, or something I find really interesting is because I think I've, I've like generated my, um, my understanding of emotions in a different way that a lot of people do. Cause I, I kind of went through the process of learning them when, as I got older, because I think throughout my childhood, I didn't really get a chance for several reasons to actually get that, like in, you know, the kind of internal grasp of it that you get just from like with friends and with family and stuff. So what I did was with my counselor in second year at uni, I, we kind of went through emotions and, you know, I, it was, one that I've, I've written about previously on my my own mind story um was a was about anger and how you know if if i was pissed off with somebody it was never like i was it was never at least i didn't attribute it to anger i always attributed it to just i just had negative emotion and that was just you know sadness and and just upset and frustration um, but it was never, you know, anger is quite an outward emotion. It's, you know, a lot of the time, anyway, it's, you know, it's, oh, that, you know, you can use anger as a way of saying, like, that person did me wrong. It's that person's fault. Um, mm -hmm. And and I never had that. So, you know, learning about that emotion, anger, allowed me to be able to be like, you know, that thing went wrong, but it wasn't my fault because like fuck that person they were a dick or they you know they, they were somewhat wrong <laughs> they, they did something bad um you know and, and that's it that that's you know, another aspect of how how important emotional intelligence is one you know like you say you know there's these little things where you know there's tiredness and emotion you know um and just not having a word for what how you feel um mm -hmm. that's a really interesting thing isn't it i think sometimes we feel things that we don't actually know how to put them into words yeah and i think that's a universal thing but 
there's this really cool concept that I came across when I was, when I was looking into emotional intelligence and it's called alexthymia and it means literally unable to express emotions oh. and it's actually literally not having the words for emotions and I can spell it now after about seven years of trying to learn <laughs> how to spell that word but it's found to be significantly higher in populations who have eating disorders so individuals with anorexia or bulimia are found to have higher levels of this psychological construct of alexthymia which mm. I just find so interesting because kind of as you've as you've been saying it's it's almost like we we're told that we have these emotions and you know some are good some are bad you're meant to not have some and that kind of way so depending on childhood at times you might kind of have particular traumas or experiences that make you not be allowed to or want to express certain emotions and I remember really clearly chatting to a woman who had binge eating disorder but she kind of said well whenever I I I get this weird thing where I have a lump in my throat so I physically eat food to push that down and she just never connected that that emotion was anxiety and that lump in the throat because we so much just we don't have words sometimes for it and we can't express it or or we're just kind of completely have separation of the body and mind so mm. we can't process those sorts of things and and no wonder we kind of push ourselves to use some other means of being able to regulate our emotions because we're not taught about it i don't remember ever being told about emotions yeah no, you're, you're right yeah you're 100 percent right and it's something i speak about the, the way my counselor puts it to me is um you know i'm i'm very good at processing my thoughts but i still you know there are still th- some things that i trip up on my emotions because I, I i tend to turn my emotion into a thought pattern and then i can you know break it down and understand it and kind of regulate where i am because I'm, i can see the pattern mm-hmm. but if i just get an emotion just a feeling um, i haven't quite got the point yet where i can just accept that and be like okay i just feel this way and that's okay um but yeah i think you know, like you said in, in the eating disorder world and i'm sure we'll talk about that a bit more as we as we go on but uh, you know, i think as well in the just in the gym community in general you know my minds we, we talk about fitness and sport quite a lot I think you know a lot of athletes and exercisers are probably told to ignore certain emotions because that's just you know weakness leaving the body mm. or you know whatever the phrase is that people use because you know oh you feel this way but that's just you know that's just your brain trying to get you to not be a champion mm. or not be whatever you want to be um do you think that's something that that yeah that um, that could potentially be something in the eating disorder world as well that people because we often hear, you know, certain events or certain like things, people say certain things to trigger people into it. Do you think there's a um, there are patterns that are forced or pushed onto people to make them uh, ignore emotions or become less in- intelligent emotionally that then push them towards eating disorders? Does that make sense of the question? So I suppose my thought process from that, and I don't know if I'm answering the question, but. Yeah. I think we have very much a society that kind of has separated the the brain kind of mind from the physical body. So I think we kind of, for example, school, I would say is kind of where I would link this with. Because I I do not go to the gym. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. So my kind of connection is in school that it's like, just push through. You've got to succeed. You've got to do this. And 
kind of I just remember always being exhausted as a teenager and never being able to concentrate and just feeling emotional and and weepy and not understanding it was because I was exhausted because I was working hard and the thinking is really hard sometimes but you're so much taught that you are to do exams you're to do well Mm. you're to do this and I think we kind of take the emotion away from that and Mm. that actually sets us young people up to when failure happens that you just fall apart and don't know how to manage it and Mm. kind of mental health never came into any of the conversations that ever had in school even though there's all this pressure and all these kind of emotions that you were feeling especially around puberty and Mm. those sorts of things but it was just kind of no you just push through and you and you do this and you try to achieve and I think I guess as humans we want to achieve whether that's within sport or within academia or if that's within just how we look and kind of numbers on a scale those sorts of things and I think society pushes that above kind of knowing your limits and and feeling when your emotions need to be managed and you need a you day kind of thing. Mm. Yeah and I suppose I suppose one of the ways that society tends to push people to ignore emotions is is through is the use of food um and the use of exercise as well you know the general narrative around exercise is oh do you know exercise makes you feel better so mm-hmm. you know we're teaching people are oh, you know you feel this way but a way to ignore it is oh go eat some cake or you know or or you know or even even you know some people would say eat some eat something healthy to make yourself feel better or you know or exercise to make yourself feel better and i suppose in you know in yeah, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that because in some ways I can, I, you know, obviously there is proof that exercise and, and things is can help with your mental health. Um, but maybe there is a problem there with the way we're phrasing it. Uh, I feel like Anything I need... that's absolute and that is just universal blanket. And I think it, it kind of links to some of the stuff that we've been working on with uh, the University of Nottingham and Heike Bartle and her team that actually kind of exercise when you do it for the good reasons and the right reasons mm. it can be really fun it can be nice that you're dancing and you're joyous and you know all that sort of stuff but if you're doing it to punish yourself and to achieve something and get there it's not necessarily for the right reason so going for a, a, a nice walk with um dogs that I look after great for my mental health mm. if I was to be like I have to go for a five mile walk and I have to do that right now it's not going to be good because it's you know it's not it doesn't have the nature in it of why it is and I think we are just absolute and universal with a lot of things what, yeah, what so, my fun exercises is different than yours George and I know that <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, that that is true and I suppose that that's part of the that's what needs to come into that conversation doesn't it it's going you know we can say go and do some exercise uh, it'll make you feel better but it should be like but understand that you don't you don't need to it's not the only way there are other methods and you and you know, that exercise should be fun and prioritize it being something that you enjoy not yeah, I think people I think one of the real common things is people think okay I need to do exercise so I'll look on Instagram at some fitness influencer right this is what they do so that's that's what exercise is doing this many mm. sit-ups and this many whatever and pushing myself to this level but it's not exercise can be anything and it should be anything um um but yeah that, we're kind of going off the off topic here a little bit and I, I just I, I really like my next question is something I really want to get across here so um how do you think people or someone can utilize emotional intelligence in order to improve their own mental health um yeah is it in, is it a case of just trying to improve your levels of emotional intelligence 
And how do you do that? If I had that answer, I'd probably be a really rich person. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think there's no... I suppose it's kind of along the lines of that kind of self-actualization kind of stuff that we talk about within kind of counseling and stuff is that I don't think there's necessarily a perfect emotional intelligence that this is how you achieve it. Um, And I think that there's a lot of work to be done to learn how we can utilize those skills and build those skills. Mm. And I think for me personally, kind of throughout my own process and journey and things, I suppose things like just learning who I can talk to and who I'm comfortable and happy to talk to, to try and process some of those emotions mm. and express them. And personally for me, what, what works for me is listening to music because that emotion in the song can help me feel that emotion and then process mm. that in my own time. Um, and often that will be, I will do that with a walk. So I'll go for a walk with really loud music, often quite angry music just so that I can process whatever is going on for me, whether I understand it or not. And that that kind of works in how I learn and how I kind of deal with things. And I think building up those little things, so it's almost like a toolkit. And I suppose that's emotional intelligence is a toolkit. It's about finding those tools that work for you, but also about those safe spaces where you can talk about it. And I think mm. having people in your life, and it's something that's come with age for me, certainly. It's about knowing the people you can you can talk to and trust and actually talk bullshit with because that's sometimes where those thoughts and process mm. and ideas come from it's hard though and I think that we all probably struggle with it especially as in a British society you know the kind of stiff upper lip and all that sort of stuff we're not very good at talking about emotions and even the term emotional intelligence I feel is quite uncomfortable mm. but I do think that there is a lot of work and research put to be done possibly in kind of building up skill set and teaching emotional intelligence in schools. If I had have had half of the knowledge that I have now about how to process and think about things and express it and who we're safe to go to and that sort of stuff, definitely would have, wouldn't have gone through half of the things that I did. And I think that if we can equip people with those coping skills in emotional intelligence, that's that's where the money's at and that's where kind of we can help people a little bit better than just teaching them about photoshop and things like that yeah yeah um and i suppose that their skills as well that we i think we undervalue as a society we we don't realize because they they'll have a knock-on effect on everything if someone can can process their emotions better that's going to mean that they can they can work better and they can they can articulate how they're thinking and not you not even just in a way to look after themselves but in a way to develop themselves and to to you know yeah develop your own personality and develop your own skills because you'll know where you sit because you'll know how you feel rather than wrestling with um emotions and being able to be honest with yourself as well because that's you know as you were saying that i think one of the things that came to my head was as i became more emotionally intelligent for myself was the ability to talk you sharing my emotions with people i I didn't even know what my emotions were. Like, I didn't know how I felt. So even if I did trust someone, I wouldn't know, like, I don't know what was, what's the real me. Like, I didn't know which, which was actually how I thought and felt because I'd just been pretending for so long mm. that I kind of lost who I was. And I still do. I still have that to, in certain situations where, you know, my, 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 um, 
default is, oh, I need to come up with something now to, to fit into this scenario. And uh, not and you know, so if someone said to me, How do you feel right now? I would I would really struggle. I would I would say what is actually what I think I'm supposed to say or what I'm trying to project. And and that's something that needs to be taught to people is how to recognize what's actually you. Um yeah. that that's so so difficult, but it is something that comes with time, I suppose. But it's a really hard question to say that people, what are you feeling? You know, if you ask me that right now, I would be like tired, because that's just gonna be my <laughs> default again. But so something that I kind of I get forced on me by my partner is he will ask kind of what color do you feel or if you were a flavor what flavor would you be I mean not great in the eating disorders world after that but <laughs> you know other ways of expressing kind of those feelings and I suppose whenever we first logged on to this call I said it doesn't feel like a Monday feels like a Tuesday I can't justify why mm. but it's sometimes it's it's those fun ways of being able to open up those conversations and yeah. kind of then trying to go through your thinking and justifying it. It's a lot easier to say, I feel like the color mauve today and then try to explain that than I feel really sad. Because then mm. the question is, why do you feel sad? And there doesn't have to be a reason. We've all seen inside out. There doesn't necessarily have to be a big <laughs> massive reason. Sadness is just sometimes there, you know? Yeah. And sadness is okay as well. And I love I love that. I love that idea of like, you know, what color are you or what flavor would you be like i know like you said it's not maybe the best for eating disorder world but i've never heard that one before and i love questions like that i love um and i think that's the that's the mark of like a true friendship or one that that's the mark of a true friendship for me is be able to have those kind of conversations and and, and answer them honestly and not think like what's the cool way to answer this or what's the you know just actually you know how do you feel and being able to do that and that's something that i you know uh, I just couldn't do like I, I until you know the last uh, maybe three years you know I've never been able to be able to on like I wouldn't be able to honestly answer that question I'd just be thinking of what's what's the way I want to like display how I how I think I taste how I think I um what color I think I am you know it's it's never actually who I was um what changed what did change I think I, I think the big thing for me was um, learning to. I hate I hate the phrase "learn to love yourself" because I think it's so overused and just makes me myself. I say it sometimes, um, and I think it pushes so many people off off of the idea of it. But it's you know learning to. I think I think understanding that I'm not a piece of shit. That, that was a thing because I, I thought that all my little failures and every little thing that I do every day that is wrong and, and cocks up and, and all the big things that I miss out on or whatever, I thought that was just me. Like, and I know everyone says that it's never just you and stuff, but I thought, but like, you know, I don't, you, no one talks about that kind of stuff. And, and, and recognizing that I could, a really big thing for me with my first counselor when I was in uni was um we started like practicing telling people if i'm not feeling good so when someone asked me how i was i used to always just say i'm good mate how are you whereas then then i just started saying actually i'm a bit stressed and and recognizing that people just go oh, oh i hope you're right or you know just recognizing that no one thinks like you're a knob for, for feeling an emotion and then over time i started sharing more and you know, i think sometimes i overshare <laughs> um, but but i you know you know what i i it's it's rare and it's very rare that I I share how I feel with someone and they and they they shut me off. I think people like it because it I, 
yeah, I don't know. I feel like um, there's that. Have you seen Coach Carter? The, no. The movie. Oh, it's a basketball movie, but there's a bit in it which I love, which is this guy stands up and he says this speech, um, and it's the, this guy keeps asking, "What's your what's your biggest fear?" And he stands up and he says, um, "Our greatest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. It was it is your light, not your darkness, that, that frightens you." And then he says, mm-hmm. he says how you like not letting yourself shine doesn't like help other people. Actually, if you let yourself shine and let yourself be you, you allow other people subconsciously to shine as well. And I think when you, when you, you know, that's more about like motivational and pushing yourself. But I think when, when you allow yourself to, to be yourself and be actually experience your emotions, you allow the other people with you to to do it as well because they're like oh you've done it and now maybe i can do that and i I think that's why that's the response i often get even if it's scary and you become a safe space for other people and i i always say that kind of when i started working in mental health and talking about eating disorders and those things you almost become a bit of a beacon for people Mm. and i find that i end up cracking friends who had similar experiences as a result and it's that genuineness and I think that that's a really hard thing to allow yourself to have when you hate yourself. Mm. And I think by kind of moving the conversation beyond kind of kind of weight and self-esteem in a body image way, we allow those conversations to happen to accept that it's it's not necessarily about the outside, it's about the inside and that, that deep self-hatred and being able to express those things that you can sometimes help process that and get it out there. I know that, you know, you're a genuine person with mm. all your flaws and all your fables and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna reverse the question back onto you. What what changed to you? What helped you kind of get your emotional intelligence? <laughs> we say that thinking that I had any. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a PhD and just pretended that I knew things. <laughs> um, I guess you know what, for me, a really big change in my life that helped with that was moving out of small town kind of mentality and I know that that's not something that we can all do and it's not like a fix and your problems do follow you and all that sort of stuff but I think Mm -hmm. it comes back to those kind of allowing yourself to be free and build your own identity and I think that you've really hit on a few really key points whenever you've been chatting and just quite inspirational to me as someone who hasn't heard many people talk about identity in that way and it's about building yourself and whatnot and it's really hard to conceptualize and quantify it and all that sort of stuff that we're taught in school that you're meant to do but learning to be yourself learning who you are and I find that that you know allow myself to dye my hair whatever color I want you know because that's just part of who I am and you know being able to wear the clothes that I like and not worry too much and kind of have friends who have similar experiences those sorts of things that I was too self-conscious to do as a younger kind of kid really I think that not that I accept it because I still judge myself massively and I'm not saying that I love myself in any shape or form but I think kind of building the identity of the person that you want to be and think you are as well kind of is, is that turning point it's building that identity outside yeah. of kind of your illness or your kind of persona I guess would be the right word yeah and that yeah I suppose I'm I'm the same as you like I I often talk I think I get so excited when we talk about recovery and 
and getting better. But I, you know, I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not at a place where I could say I love myself. I, I would say there is still. Um, there's probably at least one day every month where I really like do hate myself, and I and I feel horrendous, and you know I feel like I'm. You know, I just don't want to get out of bed, and I don't want to do anything. So I just think everything I'm doing is pointless, and no one gives a shit, and and even and everything that I am doing, I'm doing it as a fake. And event, you know, and people are going to realize that I'm a fake, and um, but it's just, uh, yeah, I guess it's <clears throat> it's it's the fact that I'm getting to the point place where it is only one day a month, um, and I guess I I now recognize the patterns myself, and I I understand what that is. Like I'm starting to anyway. I'm not 100, percent but I'm getting there. And that's what I'm doing with my council at the moment is understanding what that's standing on because there's some there's something holding that there still and I need to f- figure out what exactly that is so then I can start to chip it away um George yeah. let's be honest life is shit there are going to be <laughs> hard days there's going to be things that happen that knock people and no matter how emotionally intelligent you are there's still going to be really shit days where you want to stay in bed and just not face the world and I think that that's a point of real recovery I don't think there's ever a fully recovered in the sense that everything's perfect and shiny and you're always happy you're not a Disney princess but there's those days whenever you know things are shit and you're like you know what yes I'm gonna stay in bed for a bit and I'm gonna kind of mope around I'd love to mope sometimes so Saturday morning in bed just having a little cry to myself while watching RuPaul that's fine but it's about being able to recognize that and I think that's the strength that's the emotional intelligence part that goes okay that's happened that's fine but you know what tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to have a shower and hopefully things will be better it's about recognizing that and accepting it you know life's not perfect so there are going to be bad days you've put that amazingly um yeah like you know, life life really is it's it's shit and it is you know I think the the true um the true experience of life is that it is suffering and that you you shit happens to everyone and it always does and there's nothing like you can't escape it um but like you say we're building this toolkit to to understand that and to be able to go that's fucking shit like i you know i don't (laughs) i never want to do that i deal with that again but it's happened and this i've got these things i can do to get through it and like look what i'm gonna be doing and look what i'm doing now and look how i've dealt with it and look what i'm gonna do and that that's what life is about is about um yeah, being able to take those things on, take on that res- the responsibility of the suffering of life, and be like, like you know, I, I, keep, I feel like I'm swearing loose in this today, but you know, I can say you take it on and go, you know, what, fuck you, life. Like <laughs> I, I can do this anyway. Like I, I'm gonna do all this shit because because I can, and because I'm you know, I'm gonna work at it, and I'm gonna do it, and I'm gonna enjoy it, and you know, that's that's what life's about. I love that today probably the sweariest you've been on one of these podcasts because you've got an Irish girl on <laughs> all the stereotypes are we talking about potatoes next <laughs> uh my next question what's your favorite brand of potato um oh let's, let's get that one um, Dublin Queen <laughs> um so yeah we've kind of gone we've kind of gone all over the place here but um I guess yeah I want to come back to um a paper that I wanted to ask you about and it's kind of a little bit off topic I suppose but it, it kind of the same way it is but it's about people's experiences of things um and I want to talk a bit about your paper 
um, recovery as a process. Can you explain what that was and kind of what, what you found through it? So I cannot take credit for that paper at all. It was an amazing kind of group of early career researchers who include the amazing Dr. Tom Jewell, um, who is just going to start in King's College soon. And I'm going to have the pleasure of sharing an office with them. Um, there was also Brett, who was leading us, um, and she is an amazing uh, researcher in America. And they kind of had this idea as early career researchers and went, we want to know what recovery is and from the service user's experience. And it hadn't really been done a whole lot. There were a few amazing papers out there that have done it. And then Duncan McRae, who is an amazing researcher up at Warwick, has done previously stuff around my fitness pal and used Reddit and content from Reddit to be able to analyze and understand kind of people's experiences. So a kind of idea was drawn up of, let's look at Reddit content about recovery and do some analysis to kind of see what recovery means to individuals in their own words because interviews are really lovely and great and I, I am all for kind of sitting down and doing an interview with an individual and asking things and kind of that but there is a bias as an interviewer that you bring to you have your own questions you have your own motives you have your own kind of research question that you're going I want to answer whereas on reddit it's more free and it's people's own words and it's completely from them so we've had no input and I was kind of brought on about a third of the way through because of my qualitative kind of research experience and this amazing kind of data we analysed that was just so rich and so raw and so truthful of individuals own experience of what recovery means to them and in their own words it's kind of those points of it being a process and it's there's not necessarily an end point sometimes and it's about kind of what that looks like and that recovery is not this let's get you gaining weight let's get you reducing your exercise and then you just live your happy life you know that after Cinderella Maurice or Prince you know there's still a process after that and there's ups and downs and there's things but the elements that can help aren't necessarily just about weight or kind of psychology but it's like the relationships that you want to have that you can't have with your eating disorder that being recovered might be that you're entering into relationships or it might be that you have friends back so it's kind of these biological but also the kind of social and psychological elements and kind of one thing just as, as a boring researcher the one thing that I do like to point out is that we didn't use any of the quotes so no one could be identified but we amalgamated everything that people had said to kind of give an idea because I think that's one scary thing about research is the idea that anything you put online can be harvested and used and there's a sensitivity and a way of doing things ethically where you can use that information to inform clinicians and inform research but without putting people at risk and things like that so mm -hmm. I'm always keen to put that in there and just for the methodological people that are listening. Mm. That is I suppose it's such an interesting idea and it's kind of like what we've just been talking about these the ways that we experience things and understanding how we experience things was was it very clear-cut or was it you know, was it was there lots of variance in the way people spoke about it oh yeah definitely lots of variation I think that in all of the research that I've ever done where there's kind of it come from lived experience kind of whether that eating disorders or severe mental illness or psychosis or whatever no one is the same no one's one experience is the same so I think 
kind of the need for variation and kind of flexibility with all of these things is really really important and I think that's that's why I would never be a clinician because I would be so frustrated with the idea that you go in and you have this model and you open the book and go through it all and it works for everybody and you end up with the same goal at the end well everyone's goals are different so if someone is coming into treatment and their goal is that they want to be able to maintain a healthy weight so that they're not inpatient that's that's recovery for them versus someone who wants to be able to completely get rid of the thoughts and just be able to have a relationship and get married and have kids you know whatever anyone's idea of recovery is should be their goal and I think that personalization is just it's everywhere within mental health research but I think it's very hard to achieve because we don't really work within limitlessness if that makes sense yeah and that that's a really good thing to highlight and I think it's not something that um people talk about enough in recovery to anything you know I think a lot of the stuff that we talk about in my mind is around you know, the things the common exercise this sort of related disorders you know exercise addiction and, and muscle dysmorphia and eating disorders and everything but um the fact that recovery isn't a like set point like you you just like it's up to you what recovery is you kind of you you decide it and I was, maybe maybe it's not something you um actually like set out yourself maybe it's something that's just from within you um but it comes down to you doesn't it it comes down to to what it is you value in life I suppose yeah and I think there's a big part of that and it's scary and it's you know it's it's not necessarily that it's completely your responsibility to fix, but I think we're not responsible necessarily for the things that happen to us. And there are things that completely out of our control, our genetics, if there's trauma that's happened, you know, the bitches in school that bullied me, you know, stuff like that is out of our control. However, how we deal with that at a certain point has to be something we're responsible for. Because you know what? At the end of the day, it is just you who is mm. living in your body and in your life and you don't have to necessarily be alone in your responsibility there's always people who are going to be there to support and help but what that recovery looks like is your decision at the end of the day I think no one can force you to do anything you don't want to do Mm, yeah I think that that's a really important thing I uh, like obviously I'm not trying to belittle it because I've I've been in that hole where you know it seems like nothing's worth anything and there's no point in anything but um, I think one of the things that really helped me was taking some responsibility for like what my recovery and, and, and just, I guess, one of the ways that when I, you know, when I have those shit days in the month and the, the way that I, the reason it, it goes so quickly now is that I've kind of, I've got to the point where I can say to myself quite clearly, um, it's up to me now, I can either get out of bed right now and go and have a shower and then go downstairs and I'll I know I'll start feeling better or I know that most of me wants to just stay in bed right now and just not do that but if I take the responsibility now just to make myself go and have a shower I know I'm going to feel better and I know that what I'm doing here is I'm just putting myself in a a cycle because I've seen it and it's not the same for everyone like if you're at home don't please don't think that I'm saying you always have to go have a shower it's just that's how it works for me um but taking that responsibility and saying actually this is up to me but I've recognized this after years of counseling and this is the thing for me so right now I I need to be responsible for that and understand that 
in, a, in an hour's time when I'm sat downstairs and feeling better, it's going to be because I made this decision. Um, and responsibility isn't always a bad thing. I think we have the word responsibility is often kind of you are the one that's responsible for doing something bad or responsibility is in being an adult and paying taxes and stuff like that. But it's also kind of control. You have control over how how you deal with that situation. And there are obviously going to be kind of factors of things that we cannot control. But I think responsibility just feels like such an adulting word that there's got to be a better term for it because it makes me think of tax, natural <laughs> yeah. insurance, and forest yeah. and Responsibility, for whatever reason, it doesn't have those negative connotations for me, but I do definitely... Um, you're too young <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> um yeah but yeah I, yeah I just I think it it for me as someone who likes to I'm very kind of like quantifiable like I like to like I said I like to turn my emotions into something that I'm responsible for and something that I can control and something that I can make steps towards it just it makes me feel better and it make it just I understand that better so I think yeah for me being able to say this is something that is down to me and I have to do X, Y. I know that if I do X, Y, and Z, I normally feel better. That helps with me. But I do I do also understand that I need to work on being able to relax and feel an emotion and be okay with it. And I am working on it. That's why I, I see my counsellor. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that's why it works for me so well, that idea of responsibility. Yeah. Um, so, Una, it is time the devil's advocate is there a jingle it's the devil's advocate <laughs> i'll put <laughs> i'm gonna do people listening you, you just heard this but i'm gonna get i'm gonna put you saying is there a jingle and then it'll happen after you say it um da, so, da, 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 da. <laughs> it's not it's not a jingle so much it's more just me i i, I made like a thing um, it's me speaking to a mic going, it's the devil's advocate. <laughs> You're like an evil laugh and then there's fire in the background. I think it's, I think it's pretty funny. Um, but for the people who this is their first episode or first of the more recent episodes and you don't know what the devil's advocate is, I'll explain it. Um, basically, like this podcast, a lot of my podcasts, I get people on who I think are really cool and I like. And therefore, the interview is just me going, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, you're amazing. Oh, yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, and then it just turned into this whole, like, just agreeing with each other thing. Um, so I wanted to bring in the devil's advocate where I ask a question where I kind of go against what my speaker is saying or what my guests are saying and and kind of put in, you know, throw a little bit of spice in the, in the pot. So today's devil's advocate question is, don't you think improving people's knowledge on eating disorders will just increase the likelihood that they spot something false within themselves? God, what a question. Mm. I have so many thoughts and so many things that I want to say. <laughs> and I'm worried now that I'm going to agree with whatever you're going to say. <laughs> um, I mean... I, I, no, I think if someone recognizes something in themselves from awareness about eating disorders or muscle dysmorphia or any of those presentations, there, there's a reason that they kind of 
link with that and mm. whether it means not necessarily that they will go into any kind of treatment but if it opens their mind to go oh it's my relationship with food a little bit mm, then but if they yeah. recognize that it's not necessarily false it's still right for them mm, that, yeah that, that that's very true eh? that i think as, as i was thinking of this question before we came on the pod the thing that reminded me of is and i can't remember who it was and i wouldn't call them out anyway but i remember somebody putting something on their story on instagram and someone was saying oh you've had experience with the eating disorder are you gonna like do you will you ever share it and they said i don't want to share it because i think i'm just gonna make other people think that they've got something wrong with them when they don't and and the way that the way that because i spent some time thinking about it and i wrote it down and i thought if anyone ever asked me this question i want to know what my answer was and to be honest with you, i forgot what my answer was that i wrote down but i think the general the general gist was that you know i think in that situation there's if if people do like you say for one if people do resonate with it then there's obviously something they're thinking of maybe it's not a full eating disorder or whatever but there's some kind of disordered behavior there if they recognize it um and two if someone does falsely think they have something then you know, at least they're going to go to a doctor and 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 see and then they can be told they don't or you know they can find out that they don't and they can understand themselves more and I think you know, that out of those group of people who are going to go and seek help because they've learned to buy eating disorders or muscle dysmorphia or exercise addiction or whatever, there's going to be a, the majority of them, I would, I would think, are going to actually have something that they need to work on and, and they're going to have sought out help because they've learned about it. Um, so it's, wor it's worth a couple more people in the system who, um, who you know, actually they don't have anything up. They just thought they did, and they just then they learned that, and they're fine. It's worth that compared to the other you know ninety nine percent that weren't ever going to go and get help, but they did because they learned about it. I suppose the devil's advocate that I would throw back to that. And I love that I'm now reversing the roles and becoming <laughs> George. This is great. Uh, I like it. It it would be more that question of the more awareness we have, the more people are going to seek help and the more pressure there are on services. How do we manage that? And I, I genuinely don't have an answer because I do think that it is a real struggle and a real problem. I don't necessarily think it means that we stop any awareness, but it, it does worry me that our services get very stretched. That's why I think emotional intelligence needs to yeah. come into that early intervention because if we can help people cope at those lower levels um, my my argument would be um the more people know about it the more common it becomes in language the more likely these big organizations are going to prioritize it so i i think you know maybe more people do start um coming forward and, and more people are talking about it but then i would say that's more that's then going to lead to more likely funding and more likely you know, the fact that People are going to get um, early intervention help, which you know we, we know is well at least I believe anyway. You're the industry expert here, but it tends to lead to positive outcomes. Um, so you know, I think I think that even even in even with that extra pressure, I think it's still going to lead to positivity and it's still going to lead to improvements because worse comes to worse, these people just learn more about themselves. And, and then they can, you know, they can deal with that in, in whatever way they do. And you know, if they didn't understand that, then they just never would have got help at all. At least they're in a place where they recognise what the problem is and they can think of ways to to get out of it. 
um, and use different methods. So, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a difficult one, and that's why it's the devil's advocate. Um, but yeah, I was I hoping for a blazing row, George, and now I'm disappointed. <laughs> well, I'm, I've not quite got to the point yet where I maintain the devil's advocate figure and just keep like attacking people because I feel I feel too mean. Like, I haven't quite got to that point yet. But my my suggestion was to have the question being, "Is cheese the devil or not?" Because I am that odd person who hates cheese. And I genuinely think that that would make Twitter blow up. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't, I personally don't understand how you could hate every variety of cheese. That doesn't make sense. Get in the bin. They all taste so different, though. There's different textures, there's different she's heaving, as people you can't see, but um, Una's currently heaving. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Personally, I'm fine, I'm a fan. Of the old cheese, I like getting. We get like a, a sticky toffee flavored cheese from this. Um, forget where it is. I'm gone. It's amazing. What? Oh, yeah, it's so good. So good. Don't know. Got... Don't blame sweet and savory. Don't do it, guys. <laughs> you don't like like uh, bacon on your pancakes, maple syrup. Well, I'm vegan, so I don't vegan bacon on on pancakes with your maple syrup. Oh, don't. This is where we're not going to be friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, end of a friendship. Um, okay, Una, we're on to the final three questions. I don't have a jingle for this, but I should get one. Um, the first question is, it's not really a question, they're more like a, a command, as um, James Downs pointed out to me. Um, shout out to James. Um, command number one, a person, real or fictional, who inspires you? Oh, okay. So this has probably changed. Oh, oh, God, this is hard because I obviously want to say like this has changed because I think in the last couple of years I have really become the researcher I want to be and I've grown so much. And I think that is all credit to Professor Alan Simpson. He is my manager and a mentor and he is just one of the good eggs in life and has shown me how to be a good researcher and you know put me through a lot of kind of having to do odd admin and horrible admin stuff but it's just a genuine nice person says thank you and kind of things like that and I think just it's the kind of person I hope to be in 10 years 20 years 30 years if I ever become a professor however when you said that and kind of the real infectional it kind of made me think that actually someone who really inspires me and I didn't realize but kind of quotes and things like that so Chuck Polinick is a author who wrote Fight Club but he also wrote this other kind of book that just really inspires me and it's just because of this kind of one quote necessarily is that the only way to achieve true happiness is to risk being com cut completely open and I think I've bastardized that, but um, it's just Beautiful Monsters is the book. And it just really inspired me and made me kind of go, you know what? Yeah, you have to take chances in life and you have to kind of risk those sorts of things. And yeah, that book, I think, in particular, was quite inspirational because it, it, within it, none of the characters are very nice, but you kind of learn to like them. And I think that's kind of part of the kind of experiences I and mean, things that I will sometimes we go through as individuals but not necessarily that I learned that I'm the best character and the Disney princess but 
I can see some redeeming qualities sometimes and those kind of risky things. So it's just a brilliant book. Yeah. It sounds really good. And I love I love the the idea of, you know, you have to risk being caught open. Because yeah. I think that is the truth. You you have to be able to risk and you have to recognize that failure really isn't that big of a deal. Like like things not going how you want, how you plan really doesn't matter. Like it just it happens and then you just carry on and then you, you do something else like it just you know I've failed at so many things in my life and I think I'm so happy that I, I have because I'm so happy that I've failed so catastrophically so early in my life because it's made me now realize that I don't give a shit like if if someone says no or someone says what I did was crap like I care so less so less than I used to and I just I think now I just think well they said that so there must be something wrong so i'll look at what they've what they've said okay yeah i did i did slack here yeah i could have done that better okay next one i'm gonna make sure i do that and i'm gonna nail that and i'm gonna it is, it is so important yeah not that george fails that often i've read a lot of the work and he's been so helpful for a lot of things that kind of we've been writing the paper together and things and genuinely wouldn't say that you're slacking in any shape or form you you're, you're going to come on again. I'll have you on every episode. You can do the final three questions. Thank you. You know, that's very kind of you. Um, okay. Question two. A phase of your life that you didn't like at the time, but looking back, you know that positives came from it. Christ, I thought it was going to get easier as we went on. That's yeah. a hard one. Um. Okay, so I'm not going to name drop and shame anyone, but whenever I had first moved to London, had my first big research job, it was not easy. It wasn't necessarily always enjoyable. My mental health certainly didn't enjoy it. Mm. But I think that experience made me become a real tough cookie. And I think it kind of made me be a bit more mighty. I, you wouldn't believe it now, but I am a very shy, introverted person, wouldn't say boo to a goose, you know, had more times than I like to admit being in toilets crammed because, you know, something at work has made me upset or whatever. But I think that that experience really made me go, it's not worth it. It's not worth being unhappy, just being a job. And kind of some people are just nasty sometimes. And that's one of those things. So the positives is that it made me good a job where it actually helped my career it made me realize that some people are just meh but you know what I came out the other side I was happy and actually being able to nine to five job for a while was really nice not have mm. to care about what you do for a little bit is really nice mm. and I, it's funny that you say that that's um that you're you're you, you used to be shy and not you know not speaking stuff because I think if anyone ever asks me about you, one of the first things I always say is I love how how much you speak your mind and say like that bit that bit needs to change. You know, if we some of the stuff we're working on, you we'll be in a meeting, everyone will go, yeah, it's great, yeah, and you'll just feel like right, this is wrong, that needs to change. This this should be better, this should be better. And then the thing is, as you say, everyone else goes like, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, and it's just you. I always think you're so good at that. Um, there's something that I really admire about you. So it's obviously something you've it's grown and you've worked on I thought I was a really nice manager <laughs> I'm discovering I'm a really hard manager <laughs> not not in that way I mean I just mean more that yeah I think I think people often get um 
scared to voice their opinion because everyone's but you're you're really good at being like actually you know, i think it's because you care so much as well but i just i have very distinct memories of everyone being like oh yeah everything's fine and then you're being like actually i think this should be better and then everyone else goes yeah you know what you're totally right i thought that as well but we were just too scared to say it um that so yeah a lot because that is so not the person i was 10 years ago so that means a lot to hear that as well Compliment central over here. Um, the final question, the final question in the Mormon's podcast. Una, please name a phrase to live by. Oh, I think I've already, I've already used the quotes that are. Yeah, you can't use that one though. again. <laughs> so, why I'm laughing is because the phrase that I'm going to share and I'm going to share it because it's on, like, I'm sitting beside my fridge and there's a little post-it that's on my fridge that my best friend shared with me. She sent a little post-it to me that basically says, fuck it, sure, it's brand. And it just, it just brings out so much of the kind of that thing of, you know what, it'll all work out kind of stuff. But also it's just because Amy is amazing and just such a good egg. And we've been through a lot of things together in a research job we did together. But it's also just that it's grand. It's that kind of feeling of home and the kind of Irishism of it. And that fact it's sure it's grand. You can take that as kind of the kind of English swearing of fuck it, but you could also take it as, ah, oh, well, and that kind of Father Tedness of it. And I think, mm. yeah, sure it's grand, you know. <laughs> It'll all work out. And I suppose that kind of links to kind of how my mother would have said it would have been, you know, what's meant for you won't pass you by. So mm. if you screw up, it's grand, you know. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Una, for coming on the pod today. I hope you had a good time. Thank you for having me. Um, it's really fun and it's just gone so quickly. I, I honestly, you know, you you turn the podcast around a couple of times. I think I think there's, I think you should be starting a pod yourself. I could see it. It should be called the the fuck it pod. <laughs> that would be incredible. Can we do that? Yes, let's <laughs> do it and start tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you so much, you know. We I, like we've been friends for a while now, and I'm sure I, I probably if I hadn't asked you sooner, so I'm I'm really glad that we finally done it. Um, and yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to everyone listening at home, as always, thank you so much for making it through this podcast. And I hope to see you at the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at My Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out myminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there and we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.